Welcome to Heroic Hearts Podcast, where we will explore the heroic journeys of St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese of Lisieux to heal, inspire, and re-enchant our own hearts. Greetings, everyone. This is Amy Chase, co-host of Heroic Hearts. In this week's episode, Joan of Arc finally defeats the English enemy in several decisive battles. Walter and I will discuss Joan's perseverance through several challenges, including her own serious injury. Wherever you are in your heroic hearts journey, whether you're facing an external adversary or even that old enemy within, we hope Joan's story will encourage you to persevere. But before we jump into her story, I want to take a moment to announce that Heroic Hearts is now on Substack. So for those of you who are not familiar with Substack, it's one of the most popular publishing sites and it offers a great platform for writers and podcasters. Please help us grow our project by checking it out and most importantly, subscribing. This way, you'll get the show notes and episodes delivered straight to your inbox as soon as they are released, plus any bonus material. You can also leave comments or ask questions. So to subscribe, please go to heroichearts.substack.com. That's heroichearts, all, uh, you know, one word, .substack.com and hit the subscribe button. Now, if you have our old website bookmarked, that will also redirect you there. And that address is www.heroic-hearts.com. Heroic-hearts.com. Thanks so much for your support. And now back to this week's episode. Well, hello to our Heroic Hearts listeners and hello to you, Walter. It is so good to see you again. Well, it's good to see you, Amy. How are you doing today? Oh, doing fantastic. Had had a good week and just I'm glad that we're here ready to talk about some exciting stuff today. Well, How about I'm, you? I know you were getting over your, your flu still. How are you feeling this week? I had the flu most of the last week. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to tell you it was a marvelous week, but at, but it's marvelous now because uh, I think I'm pretty much uh, over it. Very good. And how's your spring weather? Are you guys enjoying any of that? I know you had snow a few days ago, oh, right? Yeah, we had snow a few days ago oh, and, and it's uh, 40s and and wet and rainy. It's the perfect spring weather in the Great Lakes region. Oh, boy. Not quite Southern California weather. No, no, no. We are we are definitely enjoying some warm spring weather this week. So well, that... you, you wait until the middle of summer when we're like 80 degrees and everyone else is, you know, 120 and then we'll be laughing. Sure, sure. So, all right. Well, let's get into our enchanting moments. What do you have for us this week? Well, I had a, a uh, moment, you know, my wife and I, Josie, we were watching a, uh, a show and I, I think it was a probably a Jordan Peterson or something. And uh, he's like having your own psychoanalyst in the house. Right? <laughs> yes, he's always good. <laughs> uh, right, you know, it, it just interesting things. So, but what what was sort of enchan- uh, enchanting, and this is great. Josie and I have been married for coming up on 37 years. I better not forget April 20th. And so um, uh, we were, we were, had a chance to talk. And this happens once in a while. You know, after you've been married for many, many, many years, sometimes you just kind of get into your routines and, and do things. And, and we had a really great moment to just talk and reflect. Mm-hmm. And it was great because having, you know, a show that we were watching with some interesting questions yeah. uh, that are being presented. And we, we just kind of paused the video and, and sat and talked for a while. 
and it, and it was it, it was a little bit of you know maybe one of those what a long strange trip it's been kind of things, <laughs> but um, it 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 gave us a chance to reflect. And one of the things I really appreciate when I do have these, you know, periodically, Josie and I do have these these moments, is the opportunity to really take a an honest assessment of my my own life, uh, you know, and, and where I am. And to be able to listen to Josie talk about the good, the bad, and, and how she honestly feels about some of the things, which is a great opportunity for me to sit back and reflect. And it, there was just something that I just felt like a bigger person. I felt just, you know, just better having done it. And it really came down to an, just an honest conversation and being honest with myself. And for us to be able to kind of conclude it with the fact that it, it has been a long, strange trip and there's been some ups and downs and it's been um, some of them have been way up and some of them have been way down. But in the end, how happy we are mm-hmm. and in the end, how every, everything is everything's OK. So it really was a, a moment of growth. And I think it goes back to our, our ideas about enchantment. Enchantment's not just some sort of an emotional, you know, oh, I saw a beautiful flower the other day, which, which it can be. But it really has to do with pointing us in the right direction and, and um, instilling and catalyzing growth in our own, in our own lives. So right. it was an enchanting moment and one that I think that grew. And, and we do have those from time to time. And I look forward to the next one. Yes, that's that's wonderful to have a moment of connection with somebody that you really love and to come out of that experience as as stronger, as more connected with your loved one. That's beautiful. Yeah, no, it's just it's a chance to I our, I don't know about everybody and all the listeners, but in our society, we just we're not allowed enough time to reflect. Yeah, uh, we, we're just constantly bombarded. And we don't have enough time to just pause the, the video yes, and sit with someone you love and care about and reflect. Yeah. We're going to miss that. A philosopher like Yosef Pieper will call that leisure, you know, that, that ability to contemplate restfully. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. So I think in every, uh, by every definition, it was an enchanting moment. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> How about you? So mine uh, was a little similar. Um, and I'm going to actually talk about two experiences briefly, but the first one is like yours. I connected with a loved one. And in this case, it was, uh, with my very dear soul friend, Laura, who is, who is uh, one of our listeners. So I'll say hello to her. She has no idea. I'm going to mention this, but we just, we were able to connect, um, by phone. She lives on, on the East coast. So opposite side of the country from me, but we had a lovely conversation where we just really talked about some of the deep, meaningful things in our lives, things about um, who we are called to be, our vocations, about our mission in life, about um, learning to be wherever we're at in this journey and being okay with that. And so I think it's maybe that was kind of like with with you and Josie talking about um, talking about that journey and wh- where you've come and, and, and where you are now. And that was that was kind of what we talked about. And it's been a while since we've had that kind of conversation because we both live busy lives and we live in other parts of the country. So um, so that was a wonderful connection. Yeah, no, it is very similar. And it's a, it's an opportunity to, like you say, to sit and reflect and, and yeah. to think about the bigger things. 
yes. in, in, in our lives, which again, we don't, our society doesn't seem to want us to do that mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> because we're just bombarded all the time with, yeah we're uh, always moving from one activity to the next but it's important to step back a little bit and mark those milestones and understand their meaning in our lives so like our, our blessed mother who it says she pondered all these things in her heart that's what we're we're called to do well i think it also points to the value of other people and why we need to be connected with other people yeah. i don't know about you or the listeners but when i just when my mind is racing, like the, the world has been hitting me with everything, it, it's really hard for me to just go, okay, I'm going to stop and reflect. Mm-hmm. And then I just stop and I'm in this <laughs> moment of great reflection. It, it's it's kind of like slowing a train down, right? It just, it, it's, there's so much activity going on that I can't just flip a switch. Yeah. And it, I find it to be very hard on my own. And when I, when I sit down, um, it can be very difficult having another person to reflect with helps you stay focused and it, it gives you someone to in- interact with sort of yeah. inter- intersubjectively to interact with that helps you focus in a way that sometimes I find is difficult when right. you know, on my own. Oh yeah, indeed. Uh, so the other quick thing I'll mention was an experience I had at mass this week in which before, well, I guess um, after I had received the Eucharist, I was praying, you know, I'm, I'm always praying for God's kingdom to come, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it suddenly struck me that the kingdom of God is here. It's right here, right now. Like all of the, the streams of people that were going up for communion, like those simple, good hearted people with whom I'm united in the body of Christ, like we are the kingdom of God, you know, our presence here. Um, we're the church militant. Yes. And so I just, just to feel so unified and and so connected to, you know, most of whom are strangers to me, but not strangers in the body of Christ. <laughs> well, yes. And boy, there's a whole topic you can go yes. off on right there, <laughs> but there is a, a unity of mind and heart that you have yes. uh, with, with Catholics. And it's amazing. No matter where you go in the world, when you go into a Catholic church, you have an immediate connection because you know that there's, there's this sort of metaphysical structure that encompasses all of you. Even if you mm-hmm. don't know them, it's a different culture, yeah. it's a different yes. language. It truly is a universal uniting force. It is. I love that. And even, you know, attending mass in a different language, sure, you don't understand everything that's being said, but you know what's happening and you're right. still united with everybody else. It's Exactly. I, I think exactly. that's wonderful, which is why it is Catholic. In other words, um, universal. It is. And it unites yeah. us into one family. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's talk uh, about um, last week's episode before we get started, just to kind of remind our listeners where we've been, where we've come from. Um, but before that, I, I caught myself before oh, that, yes. we'll have the prayer. <laughs> so Walter, would you please lead us in prayer? Well, I would be happy to. Thank you. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. amen. O sacred heart of Jesus, form in us missionary hearts hearts that burn to spread your faith, heroic hearts of the cross, wanting always and everywhere to bear witness to you, make us ready to suffer, to show our love. And like our sisters, St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese, grant us the desire to conquer for you all the hearts of the universe. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. I just really enjoyed that prayer. (laughs) Thank you. 
<laughs> sometimes, uh, we, sometimes we almost forget it. I think one time we yeah. did forget it. <laughs> yes, we did. Okay. Um, so to remind our listeners, last week we discussed the approach to the big battle or, or an approach to an ordeal, which for Joan involved the skirmishes with the English that were sort of that initial prelude to the campaign that she would then fight to raise the siege of Orleans and defeat the English for good. And that uh, discussion yeah. will be what we're having today. Um, well, yeah. But last week was the lead into that. And so we got to see some of those battles and skirmishes. Yes, it was the, as I pointed out last time, it, it's really this sort of um, maybe week and a half, 10 day period of time uh, that, that's really the the big moment. So the, 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 the battle of Orleans, the battle to free Orleans is really, a, it's, it's over a period of days. It's not really just one battle. Now, what gets romanticized and glorified in, in the movies and everything is the one we'll talk about today, which is mm-hmm. the last battle of the last ba- of the last Bastille yes. of Le Terrell. And, and that was the one that, that was the final battle that actually freed Orleans. But yes, there was a there was a period of arriving. Oh, it was so dramatic. I mean, there's a period of arriving to Orleans. Yes. The, the, the change of the wind that, that you know, convinced Dunois that this was all divine had Joan have you know upset and having to mm-hmm. send the army back to Blois and come back up the other side the inexplicable uh passivity of the English in, in allowing the French troops to go by the historians have, have pulled mm-hmm. you know pulled their hair out wondering what what were the English thinking the uh communications that she sent uh to the English the the um attempt uh, unbeknown to Joan by a handful of people, exuberant people to go out and take the Bastille of San Lou. And then she goes out and saves. So there, there was, so we've already had a couple of battles, yeah. uh, the, the battle for the Bastille of San Lou. And then they, they, uh, they've captured the battle of the, of, of the Bastille of the Augustans, which puts them right up to Le Terrell. And so Le Terrell is really the Bastille that's blocking the river. The you know the, uh, Orleans sits on the north side of the, the Loire River and this is really blocking. This is the main block between Orleans and True France. Right. And know, so right. and 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 so that with that scene setter, uh, we're going to look at a couple of questions, our reflective questions. We've moved them up to the the beginning of our episode, so you have you as the listener have an opportunity to think about these as um, as we go through this exciting narrative of of the battle uh, for Le Terrell. So Walter, why don't you give us your question? Well, this one uh, this week that I'd like for people to think about as we go through this episode is uh, has to do with success. You know, we've talked about challenges in the past and we've talked about being honest with ourselves and how much we identify with, you know, the paladin. Mm -hmm. But I want to focus this week on what is your greatest success? You know, what 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 success? What would you consider to be the greatest Mm -hmm. success in your life? And what's been the long run effect of that? Because we're going to discuss uh, truly Joan's great success, at least on the right. military battlefield. Military success, today. yeah. Today, I mean, astonishing success. Uh, success that's beyond comprehension. For sure, for sure. Um, so my my question then uh, might might lead into that when so when facing an external enemy so maybe one of your successes was you were able to kind of defeat defeat some uh, trial in your life but when facing an external enemy how can you show compassion 
while still working to defeat injustice? And I, that question, as we'll see in our discussion, that question um, is uh, the, the, the context of that question is how Joan will treat her enemies throughout this, uh, throughout this battle and the aftermath. Well, it sounds like it comes too from some of your personal experience, because I, I know you mentioned before um, yeah. your own experiences being in the military. Well, and we might, we might also turn this question around. It, if you're not facing an external enemy, but you're facing an internal enemy, yeah. uh, something like pride or, you know, some of those struggles that we have, how can you show compassion to yourself yeah. while you're still working to root out some of those, those vices or those habits that are, are self-defeating? I have a few of those enemies. I think, <laughs> okay. Well, let's look at um, let's look at the heroic hearts journey theme for today. We are at that point in that in the hero's journey, which is sometimes called fighting the dragon, or it's alternately called ordeal death and rebirth. So, in essence, in this stage, uh, we are near the middle of the story, kind of like near you know coming on uh, on that climax. Uh, where it usually involves the hero entering a figurative or a literal cave where he must face death or his biggest fear. And so for our heroic hearts journey, the journey that Joan is on, this journey of a higher moral and spiritual plane, we'll see that Joan does have to face death. And in fact, she will be wounded during one of those battles um, that we're going to talk about today. Yes. But we do see that she doesn't fear danger or even the formidable en enemy that she's facing. She doesn't fear them like uh, many of her captains and her generals um, have, you know, they, they, they are fearful of the enemy that they have to defeat. In fact, the only thing I think that she shrinks from is inaction or being kept from doing the will of God as revealed to her by her voices. Yes, she has such a high degree of confidence and, and faith. And as, as we've discussed, it's, it's not even remotely close to hubris. Uh, no. Or pride. It's just it's just purely a a fundamental confidence that comes from faith uh, that is astonishing to the rest of us. No matter how strong you think you are in faith, yeah. I don't know if you have Jones' faith. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're if we're thinking about our own journeys alongside of Jones, uh, we may be facing the dragon, as I said, of our of our own pride at this point. Our our pride, or 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 any of those other weaknesses that that try to hold us back that are that are self-defeating. So having come this far with Joan, we must now advance boldly to slay that dragon and defeat the enemy. So let's talk about how Joan did that. Well, you know, interestingly, you know, you, you got me thinking because when it comes to her injury, so you have to remember we're, we're up to, uh, uh, we, we got up to May 6th, really. Uh, we got up to the decisive battle, which will happen on May 7th mm. at, at Le Terrell. And the, you know, the interesting thing is that Joan actually, no, she received from her voices, from her heavenly voices. She knew that she was going to be injured and she knew exactly where. So now the, I guess the question comes up, you know, why does sort of heaven give this to her? And to some degree, it, it may be so that people would have confidence because J Joan tended to prophesy in very specific terms. Yes. So it's, it's very easy to say, I prophesy that a great thing will happen tomorrow. But <laughs> that that really wasn't. Joan, Joan was very specific that I will raise the siege of Orléans. 
I will we do it in four days or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. She was very specific and she, but she did tell uh, the day before. So they, they, they'd been victorious. They had turned the tide. Uh, the English were still uh, not in a position to retreat. They've been stunned. Th- this is something they haven't seen. They didn't know the French were willing to fight actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they've, they've been somewhat stunned. So what they've done, the English have now sort of retreated they, as a military strategy, they pulled people from some of the outlying Bastilles. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, uh, they, 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 it sounds like in Twain, they, they got reinforcements or they yeah. were waiting on reinforcements. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they pulled in the uh, uh, from uh, Saint-Jean de, uh, de Blanc and another Bastille and they sort of pulled back because they, they knew that the they knew that at all costs they had to protect uh, Le Terrell. So whatever happens, we've got to protect because that's our blocking point. If they break that, now these, it, you have to remember too, they had other Bastilles around Orléans. It was a siege. But the thing is, once you break Le Terrell, there's no use having the rest of the, it's, you've already, they've sort of broken the, the siege. So there's no use having, uh, uh, you know, the rest of the Bastilles. So Joan didn't have to go around and defeat every single Bastille. She knew specifically the two or three uh, key Bastilles she had to take in order to free Orléans. And so we come up to the, the final one uh, uh, at Le Terrell. And she, but she told uh, people, and it's well recorded, that she was going to be injured and it was going to be in her, um, what you call her breast or her, her, her shoulder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, she was, she was going to take an arrow and we'll find out that indeed this is ex- exactly what happened. And there are a lot of stories around, you know, that, and, you know, there are stories that she pulled the, the arrow out herself and, and things like that. So she did express, show that bravery, but anyway, kind of coming up to that point. So she had told everybody that this was going to happen. And I, you know, it's, it, I find it very challenging you know one of the things about not knowing the future is it kind of helps us not be afraid we talk yeah. about being afraid because we don't know the future but it kind of helps us if you don't know the future sometimes. for sure if you knew you were going to be hurt if you knew that you were going to be injured would you mm-hmm. be ready for she-? she didn't hesitate a, a, a bit knowing that she was going to be you know what could yeah. be most people consider fa- could be fatal didn't didn't slow her down at all. I think Twain does a good job of portraying this scene where Joan knows of her impending injury. She's writing a letter home. So she's, or she's dictating a letter home and her, her friend, Catherine Boucher, uh, with whom she's staying, um, learns that, you know, she's to be injured and she's trying to prevent her from going and and, keep her home, which is the reaction. I think most of us would have, right. If it was ourselves, we'd stay home. Uh, If it was a loved one, uh, we'd try to make them stay home. If we knew that, um, that there was danger ahead. Yeah. Don't, don't do it today. Don't do it tomorrow. Do it the next day. (laughs) Yes. Don't, you know, so, but, uh, you know, for, for Joan, it was, it was about following the will of God and it didn't really matter. And so she, she wasn't, uh, she wasn't afraid. So they, they, they came around for the, the, you know, the final assault and the, you know, the battle, this is the one, like I said, you, you see glamorized in movies and everything mm-hmm. when they assault the Bastille, the, the scaling ladders go up and the flaming arrows are, yeah. are, you know, are going. And, um, and it really was the battle that turned really the history of Western civilization around, you know, people don't really always contemplate how important it was. It literally yeah. meant the difference between having France and having 
you know, an anglicized France or having a, a larger England, really. Once again, Twain really captures that very well. I mean, he basically says that was the 10 minutes. He says in the time that it takes to hard boil an egg. Right. Like, literally the whole future of France hung in the balance as, yeah. as they fought, as the English and the French fought over Joan, who was now wounded and laying on the ground. Yeah. You know, he really did. I, I, and I really do like the way that he, he, I, you know, this is a, this, I think this is a, a point in the book where you could say that he's using his, his Twain uh, <laughs> voice, yes. but he's not exaggerating. He's, he's not putting colorful edges on it. I mean, I think that most any historian would look at that and say the same thing that in this, in this very short, this one battle hung really the direction of Western civilization. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it was quite important. Now, the, the, the battle, not to go into, you know, every single detail, but it was a lengthy battle, uh, you know, all day. So they assaulted, you know, the fort um, and they were making, you know, the beginning very little progress and people were getting weary. And naturally, the, the French captains wanted to retire for the day. Yeah, of course, you know, sound we, the retreat. Yeah, yeah, sound the retreat. We, we. You know, we really we gave it our all and, and good job, everybody. You really pushed hard. Now let's back off and maybe we'll try it again tomorrow. That was sort of the typical, uh, you know, yeah. mentality that, yeah. the, that the French and that's what the English were used to, by the way. In fact, they weren't even used to, to the English really taking much. I mean, the French taking much aggression at all. Well, Joan would Joan would have none of it. And so she's in the she's in the thick of the battle. Now she does take the arrow and she takes the arrow, uh, you know, uh, and I, I presumably they show it in the movies where, you know, you've got in the armor, you have little creases in the armor and things. So the arrow happened to catch and goes right into her shoulder uh, exactly as she had said and falls back. And the English are ecstatic. Um, you know, the English are basically are saying that we killed the witch. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to kind of keep in mind that England was Catholic, too. This wasn't, yes. this wasn't Henry VIII's, this wasn't Henry VIII's, um, uh, you know, Church of Church of England having broken, you know, yeah. away. This was pre-Reformation. Um, and uh, so the um, uh, the English also were, were Catholic. So it really begs a question. There's a huge question people ask, like, who, whose side is God, God on? Why is it that there, God is on Joan's side? Weren't the English Catholic too? Right, and that, that's a huge question that we can't we can't answer. But it, it's something that uh, many people have, have tried to tackle. So, from the perspective of the uh, English, they're on God's side, and the oh, only yeah, they think they are. Yeah, yeah. The only explanation mm -hmm. for Joan's somewhat mystical powers it must be evil. Must be she must be sure. a, 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 a witch. And so, you know, you kind of have to keep in mind that that, that was kind of the English mentality. And uh, so they were ecstatic. They thought, well, we've killed the witch. And, um, uh, you know, and, and they knew that with, with Joan down, that would take care of the morale. So they could they could sense that. On the one hand, leading up to the Battle of Les Tourelles, the English just mocked her. Like she sent messages to them in her naive but straightforward way. She'd say, why don't you why don't you leave? And then everything will be fine. Otherwise, we're going to come and we're going to take you out. And, and they, of course, would just mock her and call her names that weren't nice and tell her to go back and, and, he, and, and you know, herd sheep. 
and and also keep in mind. So the, imagine you're in English. Uh, what what happened at Agincourt, and, and you know, years before with Henry V? Was Henry V hiding away in England while his forces were battling away? I mean, wasn't he sort of a brave? leader. Uh, and, and so compare that to Charles. Where's Charles? Is Charles out there leading his nope. forces? Nope. He's back with his dandy friends and advisors. Charles is hiding away. I mean, Charles was back with his fine clothes and his advisors, and he's got a 17-year-old girl fighting. For fighting him. for him. Yeah, for his and kingdom. It, yeah. I mean, don't think the English missed that. And so they're like, where, you know, where's your, you know, your brave uh, leader? So to them, this was all a big joke. Now they're, they've been slapped around a little bit and they're getting ready to find out that it was a really bad idea to consider this uh, a, a joke. So they think they've killed the witch. They're ecstatic. Well, what happened to the French when Joan went down with the arrow? Well, what you would expect. I mean, they were demoralized. They were terrified. They, um, you know, they kind of pulled her away. I mean, literally without Joan, they, they were anything. So she really did have, uh, that sort of power, mm -hmm. uh, that sort of leadership power and inspiration with, with the army. And it's, I think it's very difficult to make the case that she was just a figurehead. Well, um, let me ask you a question and this is pure speculation, but what do you think the purpose what do you think the sort of divine purpose was in allowing her to be injured like that? Um, you know, presumably if she's, if she's doing the will of God, you know, the angels could protect her, you know, that, that sort of right. thing. Why, what, what, what do you think, what purpose do you think it served? Well, you know, I, I think it's a good question, but I, I think, you know, my, my, my first blush would be, that it would serve to bring even more courage to mm -hmm. her her troops. You know, it's one thing to see your illustrious leader who whose armor never gets soiled. Tarnished. Yes, right. exactly. But look what happened to her. Here she is, the seventeen-year-old. Uh, I, I I say girl, woman, young woman, seventeen-year-old young woman, and she's leading the way. She's leading the fight and she's taking an arrow. Now, if you're a warrior and you see her willing to take the lead and take an arrow, what does that tell you? <laughs> you, you know, you, you, that's, yeah, gonna, that, that's a great point. That's a little like getting your purple heart. Uh, yeah. It's gut check time. I mean, where, where do you stand and are you, are you ready to fight? And what they, what they needed, Amy was in making the next push. They needed a huge all out, everybody in push. And so I think I don't have the answer for what the true reason that, that the Lord would allow that. But I think one of the things that, that I could say came out of it, whatever the purpose was, was a truly invigorated French army that was ready for the final push. So her injury to a certain degree gave, gave a weary, we've been fighting all day, we're tired, gave them a new uh, push a, a new sense of enthusiasm that they would need. So she pulls off to the side and uh, they pull her off to the side. Now there are stories that she pulled the arrow out herself and things. I don't really know. Uh, I mean, she certainly had that, that kind of uh, spirit, 
But of course the French, you know, are like, well, we better bandage up. And uh, it was a good try today. We'll try. Well, Joan's going to have none of this waiting. She doesn't care if she's injured. She doesn't care. We're, we're going to take the Bastille today. And uh, so she, she does go off to pray. So it's interesting. You see this in movies sometimes. And, uh, you know, one of the movies I really like is uh, uh, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a back in the DVDs, double DVD set of the, the battles and the prisons with uh, Sandrine Bonaire, uh, the French actress who played um, Joan. It's, it's, it's really great in terms of following what Joan really said. And so it, they have a beautiful scene where she, st- she goes off to the side with her horse and she says a beautiful prayer. And she takes about 15 minutes to go off by herself and pray about really, Lord, what, what, what am I going to do? And I think her prayer was, a, nobody really knows, but I think a lot of her prayer was really around, what am I going to do with these, this army? Of mine? <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm ready to go. And this, this army of mine, yeah, and these yeah. captains. So she goes back and they make, uh, they make one more grand assault. She says, there will be no retreat. And she, they go make another a grand assault. And again, to your point earlier, she's just coming off being injured. She, she just, you know, perhaps pulled an arrow out of her own shoulder mm-hmm. and you're a warrior. So gut check time. Are you ready to, are you ready to go or not? So they make the final push. And, and what I think Mark Twain does a good job of bringing out. And I think it comes out in some of the histories too. I, I don't think that the French necessarily realized how, tired and demoralized the English really were at that point. You know, they, 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 they've really been, uh, and I think this is interesting. I haven't seen it explored as much as I'd like to in, in a lot of the histories, but imagine, put yourself in the English position. You're kind of the all powerful. You're just, you're just, you have no respect for the French army and you're just waiting and um, you're on the verge of total victory. And, all of a sudden you start taking these hits and you, and you're taking these hits from this young woman, 17 year old woman. And there, there becomes this sense of, is there some sort of mystical, magical, they become, they become afraid uh, uh, to some degree. And I, I don't think people realize possibly how demoralized and even scared the English were behind that sort of macho, uh, you know, front that they had. And so when they made the final push after Joan had been injured and she said her prayer, they made the final push. The English just kind of folded. Yes. You know, they just kind of folded and it was all over and, um, you know, kind of drove, you know, just kind of drove them into the river. And, and they were able to open the way. And that was the true freeing of, Orle- of Orleans. That was the, the, the grand moment. And the following day, uh, May 8th, is the day that continues to be celebrated in France. The following day, keep in mind, there were other Bastilles on the north side of the city. But once Le Tourelle had been opened, well, I mean, why have, why have a siege when there's like a huge hole in it? And so... Um, so the English uh, forces grouped in the field, and there are some dr- movies that do dramatic scenes of this. It's really interesting. The English didn't send, as far as I know, they didn't really send any message. They just, they assembled in battle formation in the open fields. They, they pulled everybody out of their Bastilles and basically went in the open field and assembled 
staring at the French ready for battle. Like, you know, look, are you ready? Because this, this might be the day we decide what's really going to happen. And Joan brought her army. And they just sat and stared at each other for maybe an hour. They wow. just yeah. They just kind of sat there. And all of a sudden, at a certain point, the English turned around and they left. And they they there was no battle. They just the English just left. They just retreated. They just retreated. That's incredible. And Orleans was completely free of the of, of the English. And um, now you mentioned reinforcements. Now there is another. So this this is the big battle of Orleans, right? So it was the battle, really the battle of Les Tourelles, which gets glorified as the battle of Orleans. But the battle of Orleans was really over about an eight day period of time. And uh, but now the readers, um, the listeners may remember from their reading, we've been hearing, and you mentioned it, Amy, we've been hearing about um, uh, Fastoff and his. 5,000 men that he's bringing for reinforcements for the English. And um, yes, that was another thing that was happening out there. So the English are bringing 5,000 reinforcements who are only maybe a couple of days away or a few days away. So this, this inspired Joan. Joan says, we don't have time to wait. <laughs> we have to, you know, we've got to make this, make this work. So, the, those reinforcements are still out there and they're still on their way. Now they would have arrived sooner. At least Twain says that fast off kind of delayed a little bit. He, he procrastinated in getting there. Yeah, there, there were um, now uh, Sir, Sir John Talbot uh, name comes up and he, he was really, you know, if you look him up, he was considered the terror of the French, the terror to the French army. Uh, he was, for all practical purposes, the kind of the leader of the of the troops in northern France. He was kind of the and he and he was a terror. And really next to uh, Bedford, who was the regent for the young king. So the young boy king who was supposed to inherit the crown, Henry VI, uh, was too young to rule. So he had a regent and uh, which, which I believe was his uncle. Um, uh, uh, and so you know, next to, next to him, uh, Talbot, next to Bedford Talbot was really sort of the big leader. So Talbot goes out to meet Fastoff. And, and to your point, Amy, you know, I think Fastoff was, was a little cautious. So it's, it's kind of interesting. You have a very, very powerful and aggressive English army. And all of a sudden they've been smacked around. They lost what seemed to be inevitably theirs and now all of a sudden, even fast off with his 5,000 reinforcements is suddenly starting to get a little bit of cautious. So you kind of see a little bit of a change in the mentality of the English. Now, Talbot, he was different. He was an animal. Talbot was known for quick strikes, ferocious strikes. Um, he was truly feared by, by the French. And so I think he and fast off had to have that, that conversation. So, but let's put it in perspective. Charles is still hiding, you know, and what, what's Joan got to do now? Free Orleans, that, that was her first big deal. What is it she's got to do is get Charles to Reims. She has to convince him, convince him to come out of his hiding and go through yeah. some en more enemy territory and be yeah. crowned king. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not done until you're king. And so she's got to get, so 
so so let's kind of back up the, the freedom of early on was a huge thing there are other bastilles in the area in the general area of the Loire valley so what we have coming next we'll come back to fast stop and those reinforcements because that's going to turn into an important uh, uh, battle but the bottom line is for whatever reason they didn't make it to orleans in time and orleans is now free joan goes back charles is gracious and happy and all that kind of stuff i wish i had someone like that that would just go fight all my battles <laughs> and uh, come back and tell me about the uh, about the victories so um so anyway she's got to get him up to north north of paris northeast of paris still burgundian still anglo-burgundian territory even though they they've opened up orleans and the loire river well this, this begins what's called the um the loire valley campaign and so there are still some a couple of bastilles they've got to deal with uh, in the area which they do forthrightly so she goes back so she she gets her army again and they go back to um uh, fight uh, in the Loire Valley to kind of clean out the Loire Valley of the rest of England. So there were there were three key ones that are mentioned. One is Jargot, where it's a famous uh, they you know battle of Jargot. So they go and they they defeat the English at Jargot, which is also in the Loire, and then they go to uh, Mung and do the same thing, and then they go to Beaugency, which I believe they at least um, they at least surrounded. And put into a siege, so they they basically either ran the English out of the rest of the Wire Valley, or had them under siege. So what's what's Joan done now in what's called the Wire Valley campaign? She's cleaned out the rest of the Wire Valley. She so she's cleaned and made safe the way for for Charles now to progress northward, right? So she so Charles, okay, because Charles like well I, I can't go yet because they're still English. Okay, well, we've cleaned out the Loire Valley, so it's time to get moving north toward uh, Reims to, for your crowning. There's one big problem, though. Fastoff has 5,000 men. Mm -hmm. that's, that's north. So there's one other huge issue now that we've cleaned out the Loire Valley is we've got Talbot and Fastoff have thousands of men that we still have to go through. This, this becomes... Uh, and I believe it's Joan's only open field battle. Um, I mean, like you put armies against each other in an open field and, uh, and it really didn't even turn out to be quite, uh, quite that, but it's a, it's a very interesting story and almost comical in a certain way um, that the English forces were coming their 5,000 and um, there were some maneuvers made and, and Talbot was trying to hide some, people and catch the French vanguard. So Joan had a vanguard up front and he was trying to catch them off, uh, off guard and, and put some long bowmen in the bushes and things like that. There's, there's this, and it's almost providential. You, you have to wonder about it. The French vanguard was going along and they were just going to be ambushed by the English. They were just going to be you know taken out. And what happens, but a stag, a deer runs out uh, in the, uh, around the bushes and what do the English do? They have this natural reaction to let out a yell, like a hunting yell. Like, oh, there, there's a deer. Let's kill a deer. And they gave their position away. Oh, wow. And as a result of giving their position away, make a long story short, is they ended up being uh, they ended up being decimated. And uh, so the long and short of the Battle of Pate is that 
the English were completely destroyed. They lost 2,000 men that day. Joan's army was was uh, victorious. They say they say it was really mostly done by her vanguard and not necessarily done by her, where she was, you know, at the back. But neither here nor there, it was her. It was her army. Yeah. And uh, but the important thing is, it's considered to be the French Agincourt. It's the reversal of the of the Battle of Agincourt. So Agincourt in fourteen fifteen demoralized France for well over a decade and really gave the push to the English to uh, be successful. Pate was the reversal of that and really destroyed the English army uh, in the field. And at that point, Mm -hmm. turned the tide of the war back toward the French in a way that would never be recovered. And so now, now they're ready for Charles to start moving northward. It's just an incredible story. And should we take just a few minutes to discuss how Joan acted towards the defeated Englishman? So, well, yeah, that, I mean, that's a, that's a great point, Amy. I mean, there is a famous, and you see it portrayed in movies and, and things like that. Um, but it's a very touching moment when Joan goes out and takes uh, the head, she, she holds up the head of a dying English a soldier and she weeps over him and she comforts him as she, he's, she, she comforts, she comforts the enemy. Mm-hmm. So very different from what we see in wars today. Yeah. Uh, Although and, with things like the Geneva convention and all that, where, you know, we strive to behave honorably towards our enemies and there's, you know, all kinds of rules and things about that, but hers came from the, um, her mercy came out of the goodness of her heart and, and her, her love and her faith. You know, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't a rule or a convention that she was following. This was the way she showed dignity to, um, to, and, and recognizing also that this was a Christian brother, you know, who was her enemy. Well, exactly right. You know, and you bring up a good point, Amy, that I don't even know, even though these were the waning years of chivalry and Joan still had a sense of that chivalry. Um, I don't even know that it was really, it would be part of the, It was really a a Jones spiritual thing. It was a good representation of of what we should be uh, striving for. And so you're right, Amy, it's a, it's a, it's a famous scene and uh, a famous event in the life of Joan where she took on the open battlefield, comforted the dying uh, enemy. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, there, there's a lot to be, so kind of step back for a second with Joan. She, she always approaches the, she always approaches them with the idea that if you leave, you'll be safe. We're, you know, I'm not here to harm you. Just leave. There's an injustice. And this is not a personal thing where we want to hurt you. We, we just wish that this injustice would be, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. This is not your right. End this injustice. Exactly. Let's end the injustice. Yeah. You're not supposed to be here. This is not your land, and just uh, leave. And so, this is just another aspect of of Jones, um, you know, uh, uh, life and and, and views like that. So we've kind of reached the point to where uh, she's cleared the way now for uh, Charles to start advancing toward being crowned. Now, don't think 
that it's clear going all the way to the cathedral in, in, in Reims uh, because there still is Burgundian territory. And I don't want to jump ahead, but we're going to find that that trip through the rest of Burgundian territory is very interesting. And mm. Mark Twain has a very interesting take on what happens the rest of the way. But militarily, Joan has done, th this is really the, the, the apex of Joan's military work, the freeing of Orléans, the victory at Les Tourelles, and the destruction, essential destruction mm -hmm. of the English army yes. at the yeah. Battle of Pate. Yeah. And that had, now, now what's happened is the Hundred Years' War, the tide has been turned permanently. The English would never recover from this. It would take another 20 years or so to kind of get them all out, but they would never recover. It was a fatal blow yeah. uh, to, to the effort uh, of the English. It's just and, an incredible story. It's an incredible victory by any measure. <laughs> yeah, you know, this, it really is. And I always want to say this is kind of the high point, but it's not really the high point because we're yeah. going to get to the high point when we get to the crowning of, of, of yeah. Charles. But then I also have to, you know, remind the listeners even when we reach that high point with the crowning of Charles, which will be coming up, um, boy, there, there's another big part of Joan's story. Oh, after the yeah, crowning. yeah. Oh, boy, we have a, it's going to be a very different discussion um, after the crowning. Well, so don't, don't think we're done, but no, we're heading that no. way. <laughs> yeah, but but we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. And, right. and, and you and I, we have both read the story several times. And of course, we know the ending, but still my heart gets, I get so caught up in this story. And I I just, I don't want to think, <laughs> I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Well, but it's, it's, um, it's very, yeah. th there's so much to contemplate. Mm -hmm. about Joan at every single at every stage stage. Yeah, there, there yeah. really is. And you can, you can sit on the, the April 29th to May 8th uh, from the time she entered Orleans to the time she uh, uh, won the battle of Lake Terrell. And then later, uh, a few weeks later, she won the, the battle at, at Pate. That whole period is, is filled with, you know, contemplation and so many things that you can you yeah. can think about. Well, so, speaking of contemplation, uh, we do have our our reflective questions that we can um, turn to again now that we've had the story. So let's look at those again, and we'll we'll say a few words. So why don't you go ahead and start? Yeah. Well, again, the uh, the the point uh, you know I wanted to kind of challenge the listeners with is to think about now. You know, really, what are what are some of your successes, and what were the long term uh, effects of those in your life? And I think it really is thinking about the, the the ramifications. A lot of times, we don't really see the the or sense the full effect until later uh, later in our life. And um, you know, I, I think you know, for, for for me, for example, I can look at that period of time right after I had this, this, you know, sort of moment that turned my life toward studying and being devoted to uh, St. Joan of Arc um, was really a quite risky period of time for me. And, you know, I had to kind of really make a huge change in uh, my profession. I had to put some things at risk. 
really in a, in a large way to put my reputation at risk, my, my finances at risk, my profession at risk, and make some changes in order to pursue what I felt, you know, Joan was calling me to do and mm -hmm. pursue. And, um, you know, by the grace of God, we, you know, we all, we all got through that. And so, yeah, there are times when you have to take those risks. And I can't say that I knew I was going to take an arrow, but, you know, going back to our earlier conversations, when you do take those big risks, you kind of do know you're going to take an arrow somewhere along the line. You, you know that it's not going to be easy. You know, you're you going know, to be a target. Yeah. At some point. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, all in all, that turned out to be, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, a, a very big success, but it was not grounded in my capabilities or, mm -hmm. you know, it was, I, it was successful despite me, uh, more or less. It's one of those by the grace of God and, and, and things. So I, yeah, I'm asking the listener to kind of think through, um, you know, what, what those successes are and the effect that they've had and what does it mean to them today in terms of where they're going in life? Yeah, that was, that, that question was really challenging for me because when you say what's your greatest success, I had to think in terms of like achievements, like, okay, what, what have I achieved? Um, that was, um, that I was proud of that was important to me. And I realized that some of those achievements, especially some of the professional achievements actually had a, a deleterious effect on my family. You know, there were a lot of sacrifices um, mm -hmm. that they had to make. And, and so the long-term impact of that was, was a struggle. And so, so now I have to maybe redefine what I mean by success, right? You know, so some of those things, um, and, and I'm still grateful for those experiences, but now I can see where I was many times um, motivated for, for personal gain. Or, well, or personal honor. Yeah, you're, you hit the nail on, on the head. It can be very difficult to truly think about what your greatest success or even your greatest failure yeah. is. Because I think you just hit the, you just really hit it, which is it makes you wonder, why am I calling this a success? Or why am I calling this a failure? And it gets you to really start reflecting on, well, maybe I'm not really thinking about my life the way that I, the way that mm -hmm. I should. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking more about my reputation or, you know, <laughs> something like that. Um, yeah. Joan, uh, Joan, Joan wasn't really concerned about her reputation. She was only no. concerned with getting the job done for heaven. Yes. Yes. And, and speaking of getting the job done, um, many times, you know, we have to, we have to face an enemy, a very real enemy that is out there to defeat goodness in the world. So when we are facing that enemy, how can we show compassion while we're still working to defeat injustice? And I think for me, that just really means that, um, I have to separate, I, I've got to be able to separate, um, people who are doing certain things that I disagree with from, from their actions. You know what I mean? Like, I think everybody, most people are motivated by what they consider to be the good. Right. Now we have to be, we have to make sure that our consciences are formed correctly so that we can know the good, but most people aren't there doing things that are really trying to harm others. They just maybe have a distorted vision of the good. And so I've got to be able to, 
discern that. And, and, and sometimes these people are, you know, in our own families or, 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 you know, coworkers or just our people in our community, they're our neighbors. And so we, we want to make sure that we're not making an enemy of them such that we wish them harm. You know, we want to remember Joan's compassion and her mercy and her concern for souls. And we do want to look at the, at, at the other side. And I think listening to you reminds me again, to recall the, the English and to, to realize yeah. there are people to this day, we might even have some listeners out there who will argue that England was the rightful, uh, <laughs> that, yeah. that they, they had a right to the, the crown of France. It wasn't as clear cut. And so trying to understand that our, our quote unquote enemy uh, or those that we don't agree with actually might have relevant points. Yes. Yes. And, and it doesn't mean we have to agree, but I think a lot of people would argue the English had very relevant points as to why mm. they were there. It wasn't like they were just some evil force that came in. Uh, you know, they, in, in their mind, they had every divine right to do what they were doing, which has raised a lot of conversation and, and questions. But I think going back to your, your question, uh, Amy, uh, we do have to realize and step back and, and think about yeah. the, the fact that yeah. our, our enemies do have points. Stephen Covey uh, always said, seek first to understand and then to be understood. And I, I think that applies here. We, we really do want to try to open it and being, you know, in having open dialogue, we, we want to try to understand. It, it doesn't mean we don't discern errors or, or whatnot, but we do want to try to understand and right. give people the benefit of the doubt. So, all right. Well, very good. So uh, that's it for, for this week. And I'll uh, remind our listeners that if they are reading along with us in Mark Twain's novel, The Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc, that next week we will be reading, um, we'll be finishing up book two, and that's chapters 31 through 35. And so that will be uh, the last um, part of, of this phase of Joan's story. And as you said, we'll be moving into the, the final phase um, yeah. after that. So so. We've, we've, got a, we've got a march north, so keep yeah. reading. Yes. And uh, embrace your journeys because you were born for this. Absolutely. Have a great week, everyone. All right. Thank you, Amy. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we'll sign off for now, but stick around for Amy reading our closing poem. Thanks for listening. If you want to discover enchantment and adventure with St. Joan and St. Therese, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us at heroic-hearts.com. The Soldier by Rupert Brooke If I should die... Think only this of me, that there's some corner of a foreign field that is forever England. There shall be in that rich earth a richer dust concealed, a dust whom England bore, shaped, made aware, gave once her flowers to love, her ways to roam. A body of England's breathing English air, washed by the rivers, blessed by sons of home. And think, this heart, all evil shed away, a pulse in the eternal mind, no less gives somewhere back the thoughts by England given. Her sights and sounds, dreams happy as her day, and laughter learnt of friends, and gentleness in hearts at peace under an English heaven.